Welcome to Here Come the Sequels, a full spoiler podcast where we talk about popular film franchises one movie at a time. I'm Tyler. And I'm stuck between mentioning No Time to Die being pushed back again, and the fact that Pat Hingle, Bobo Justice, was in this movie. Guys, maybe 2021 isn't looking so hot after all. I mean, I'm Alex. And I'm never getting Morbius the Living Vampire. I've accepted it. It's just not going to happen. They've delayed it. Uh, I would say that at least I'm getting the Boss Baby sequel, but I'm not getting that either. It's fine. I'm fine. I'm Britain. How are you? If we're if we're all adopting a delayed movie to be like the thing we're upset about, can mine be Wonder Woman 1984? <laughs> I'm never. They're just never going to release it. I don't. I, I was hoping you would retroactively say New Mutants. <laughs> gonna release guys we are we've been waiting to review this film but we just can't it's not out it's we can't <laughs> find there. it i don't get it i think mine will actually be the hunt for the red october what's the deal you've been hunting for it for 26 years or whatever also alex i, I i'm so glad you brought up bobo justice which was maybe one of my first jokes on the podcast yes um and i love it and also there's a character in this movie who works in security named Bobo. <laughs> so right. it all it all comes together. I, I have, what is that movie, Tyler? Well, I was going to say first, I have to confess, I don't remember the context for Bobo Justice at all. I know it exists. Oh, wasn't it that Pat Hingle was in a movie called Bobo Justice? Very possible. I, either that or he played a character named Bobo Justice it, in I'm one thinking, of his movies. I'm thinking it. There's really no way it of was, knowing that. Uh, the film no. we're talking about this week is <laughs> Muppets from Space. Yes. When, yeah, that's fine. Um, Muppets <laughs> in Space makes so, it, it feels better rolling off the tongue as a title. It does. And would be a cooler movie. They don't yep. go to space. They don't go to space. <laughs> So Muppets from Space, <laughs> uh, directed by Tim Hill of, uh, what's the movie, uh, Garfield Tell- Tale of Two Kitties fame? Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And War with Grandpa, the first Alvin and the Chipmunks movie. Um, just a real, oh, I think he I worked on some of the Spongebob movies. Like, this is a real auteur. Yeah, you know, you don't usually see guys like this getting big budget opportunities, but, you know. Yeah, he has been, cra- oh, and Max Keeble's big move, he directed that. <laughs> From 1999, it has a 63% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes and a 58% audience score. And that is, I think, the lowest we will go with the Muppet franchise in terms of scores. Fascinating. Yeah, I think so. I believe that when they were promoting uh, the next movie in the franchise, uh, Kermit, in an interview, said, Well, you know, I'll do respect to Muppets from Space, but you don't want that to be your last movie. (laughs) (laughs) pretty good. (laughs) <laughs> uh, who wants to do bests and worsts first? It's a good question. Cool, I'll go. <laughs> um, <laughs> my so this is this is uh, my weakest of the, of the movie so far. I think this is. I, I, I'm going to try to qual- quantify this into a worst thing, but it's just that it feels the least like a Muppet movie. Mm-hmm. Um. It is still a Muppet movie. It's all the Muppet performers. Um, apparently, though, Frank Oz like wasn't available during a lot of the production, mm. so other people would perform his characters, and he would loop the dialogue later. Huh. Um, which, it's not really that noticeable. Like, it, no. it all still works. Um, but it the movie just doesn't... This was the first movie directed by... I mean, I guess the, the first Muppet movie was directed by someone not in the in the crew so to speak, but Jim Henson was obviously there and had a lot of, you know, influence on the project. And then he directed the second one. Frank Oz directed the third one. And then the next two movies, Jim Henson's son directed. And so now you've got this like other person coming in and I don't think it's like that badly directed or anything, but the whole movie just feels detached. It's not a musical, which is weird. The the soundtrack is all like funk and soul music, which is an interesting choice. (laughs) Uh, I, I, I was reading up about the movie, and I think that this was the work of our old nemesis, that dastardly fiend, Rush Productions. Ah, I should have detected his foul stench. Um, apparently, they. I think you were you were going to say Sony. 
Well, Columbia Pictures made the film. Or I, I think that like they 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 were like forcing them to get it done a lot sooner so that it could be like a big summer release and it just you know I do not think this is a terrible movie by any means but like by Muppet Sanders just doesn't feel as much like a Muppet thing even yeah. though for the first time in three movies they're all being themselves again yeah. um my best thing about the movie though is I'm gonna say Bobo uh, the bear he is so th- this movie it has a lot of new Muppets that don't get introduced. That's because there was a brief Muppet show revival called Muppets Tonight that ran from like 96 to 98 or something. And that was the show that introduced Pepe, the King Prawn, Johnny Fiamma, Sal, Bubba the Bear, um, like all these, these other uh, Clifford um, was there, was introduced through that. And so in this, you see a bunch of new characters, which only felt jarring because to Mm -hmm. me, because it's like, Oh, right. I'm not watching the other series. Uh, but Bobo in this, uh, he's Jeffrey Tambor's like assistant, um, and I found him hilarious. I think Bobo uh, performed by Bill Beretta. Um, he's this like very sweet, like kind of simple guy, and I I love that he, the way he gestures and like I don't really know how he's puppeted because his, his mouth seems to move like there's someone's hand in it, but his all, his hands are also like fully articulate, and he's like a big a big puppet. Um, I just find him very funny, and I like mm-hmm. the way he repeats what Jeffrey Tambor says, but, like, quieter. So Jeffrey Tambor's like, no, 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 we can't do this. And he's like, no, 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 we can't. We need more evidence. More evidence. <laughs> like, he's just such a sweetie, and I, I love Bobo. Mm-hmm. And that's mine. I can go next. Um, my worst thing is going to be something that you hit on earlier, Britain. It's not a musical. Yeah. I, I don't get that choice at all. Um, it, it feels, it comes off as super cynical to me and Mm. I, I'm, I'm having a hard time not just reading too much into it because I I don't know what happened with the rights. I don't know if Disney gave up the rights to, to Muppet stuff after, Mm. uh, Muppet Treasure Island and then Sony picked them up. Um, Britain, we can circle back to you because I'm assuming you kind of have, have some knowledge about that. I can clarify. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it just feels super cynical. It, it reminds me a lot of the stuff that, that we've noticed with like the Spider-Man franchise where they just kind mm-hmm. of insert songs that may, they may or may not fit what the movie's actually about. But it's just it, – it, it, it feels like they're trying to sell a soundtrack more than make a, a fully compelling narrative and, and cinematic experience with the music. Um, and it's just very weird because it's the Muppets. Like is – who all is buying the Muppets from Space soundtrack? I did. <laughs> did you really? Oh, yeah. I, I listened to that thing a lot. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah, I was like 11. Full, uh, but, but to your point. a hole in my logic. No, but that's the same. But I think you're right. I mean, to have the Muppets not do a musical movie when everything they've done up until this point involves them singing. Right. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I think overall that's my worst thing. The, the weird thing is this movie went by really fast, but yeah. not in a good way. Mm. In a way where this felt like a 20-minute episode of television. Like, it felt like nothing happened. Like, in and out of my brain. Like, completely, like, I don't remember anything that happened in this movie other than Pat Hingle was in it. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, we can get into that. Um I think my, my best thing is just going to be that Gonzo is the focus. I like mm-hmm. that he's kind of our protagonist. I think that's an yeah. interesting choice, and I'm glad that after so many movies that we're kind of focusing on a different character. Um, and I think, for the most part, a lot of the other characters still get moments where they shine, as per usual with with the Muppet movies. Um, I kind of wish Fozzie got more to do, but whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I actually thought the beginning was actually kind of compelling with Gonzo maybe losing his mind and, and feeling super lonely and whatnot. And I, I, you know, when, when he's talking to Kermit and he's like, well, what am I supposed to do? Like, I'm, I'm all alone. And, and Kermit's like, you're distinct. I, I like all that stuff. I don't know. Uh, well, once again, like the moments where the, the Muppets are just kind of hanging out and talking to each other is the best stuff. Oh, sure. Yeah, when the plot definitely. actually happens, I, it's not that it's necessarily bad. It's just like, I don't care. <laughs> Um, I think I'm going to say the humor is my best thing. Um, I found this one 
pretty funny, as as mm-hmm. I think all of these movies have been to some extent. I think there's a lot of good jokes in this. Um, if I started, I would just be naming like a bunch of different gags, so they'll probably come up organically, and we'll just talk about them then. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, the I I mentioned to you guys when we were kind of discussing while watching uh, over the internet because we uh, have not yet been capable of watching a film uh, while I can see your lovely faces. Uh, <laughs> I feel like this movie could have been a lot worse if it wasn't yes. pretty funny moment to moment. Like there in a way that I think I've discussed, I, I feel like I kind of felt this way about the last one. Maybe I might've felt the same way about Muppets, uh, take Manhattan, mm. um, where there were moments that did bring me back. And then I felt like I was drifting away again. Uh, this kind of felt like the inverse where it felt like the movie mostly had me, I would start to drift away, and then it, it the pacing of the jokes and the humor was enough that I'd be like, "Oh, that was pretty good," and then it would like bring me back in, and I'd be, I'd stay uh, invested just long enough to string me to the next joke. Um, so I think that it's consistently funny, and I like that a lot. Um, I think my worst thing, I I had said again uh, before the podcast to you guys that. This movie gives me Ted vibes, as in mm. the talking teddy bear, Mark Wahlberg's best friend, uh, those films, um, which I have not seen in a while. But I, what I mean by that is it, it feels like the character, the the human actors, um, for one, there's a lot more of them than yeah. there have been in past movies. There's a lot more like, here's the limelight on random cameo or Jeffrey Tambor or yeah. something to that effect. Um, and with them all, it feels like they're more cynical about the Muppets. Mm. Um, so like if you take something like, for example, the Steve Martin cameo from, uh, the Muppet movie where he's playing this like fed up waiter, but he's also treating the Muppets like humans, like he's giving the, uh, he's, he's serving Miss Piggy and Kermit, um, and they're acting, they're treating him like a normal waiter. Um, and he's like super frustrated about the situation, but it's, it's funny because like, we can tell he's very angry and the Muppets are just kind of like not paying attention. Um, right. where in this, I feel like there's a lot more of the humans like talking down to the Muppets and the fact that the overall movie centers around the fact that Gonzo is a weird thing. is <laughs> a mm. creature or whatever. Um, so that there's more, there's automatically more like people, uh, questioning who he is and like trying to capture him and stuff like that. Um, and so it's really a one, two thing of one. And, and the bigger problem, I feel like that takes away from the tone of the movie a lot. I think that that really undercuts the kind of innocent, almost naivete of the earlier ones and, and how that's supposed to be. There's a feeling of, of optimism throughout the whole thing because everyone's just so cheerful in the face of any danger or, problems they run into um and i think that really undercuts that but also it makes me question like what do people think about the muppets when they walk around because i think in all the other movies it's felt like oh the muppets are just you know they're around and so everyone is used to muppets everyone everyone gets muppets you know that they just are things Mm -hmm. where this feels like we've got this muppet enclave (laughs) and then (laughs) they're all they're all hanging out there and whenever they go outside people are like who are you what's going on uh, and I don't know that I feel like there's a lot, maybe not more references to their appearances, but there's more treatment of them as weird outsiders for their appearances mm-hmm. where before someone might just comment, like for example, in Muppet Steak Manhattan, someone might just comment, uh, you're a pig and you're a frog. You or sorry. You're a bear and you're a frog. You don't look anything alike. And right, right. Then they'll make a joke about that. Um, this was more direct to me felt like more direct, like we are treating you as this weird thing. We don't Mm -hmm. know what you are and we don't know where you came from. Um, So that's a long way way of saying why the movie, even though I'd I'd say I enjoyed it for the most part. um, And I don't know that I have a lot of things that I didn't like beyond that, that really just never let me settle in to enjoying it any more than like a very surface level uh, enjoyment because uh, there is this feeling that it was, it was a lot more like a cynical, 2010s 
type of like parody comedy thing. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it's still very kid friendly, but I felt the the underpinnings of that in this movie of that kind of strain of comedy. Yeah, I, I definitely see what you mean. I think this movie is the f- it. It's got a little bit of sourness mm-hmm. in in the tone, and I think it's the first Muppet movie to be ironic in this way. Sure. Not not as ironic, but it's got kind of that '90s irony to it. When, yeah, and you're right. I mean, these previous movies, the human actors were either just cameos, like up oh, here they are, and then they're gone, or they're people who are really engaged with the characters, like Jenny and Pete from Manhattan, and then obviously Michael mm-hmm. Caine and Tim Curry in the last few. But the focus was always the Muppets. But here you have multiple humans that seem to be spotlighted a bit more, and it seems to be more like. Hey, do you see this cameo we got? Yeah. Which the Muppet movie did, but the Muppet movie, those cameos were so fast. So it was like, what? Is that Richard Pryor? Okay, he sold a balloon. Mm-hmm. Next scene. Like, it's just, a, it's like a novelty. Um, and, and, and yeah, I, I feel like the, the script is the last that Jerry Jewell uh, would work on, who's written for like most of the Muppet movies and is, you know, brilliant. He had two other writers, and so I, I don't know what treatment is the most of I, I I don't know. But. You're going to tell me that they're the guys who wrote Far From Home and Ant-Man <laughs> and the Wasp, aren't you? These two guys who we bring up all the time. I don't believe have, that was them. We will never look up their names. <laughs> um, Turns out Orsi and Kurtzman just changed their names. <laughs> <laughs> they periodically just you change their names. You can't make jokes about them yet because we haven't done the Star Trek movies. We got, we got We got to work our way there. Yeah, I am. Um, Fine. <laughs> and, and there are moments of, like, at the end when Gonzo is, thinks he's going to leave and he's saying goodbye to Kermit. Like, that's a that's like a Muppet moment. You mm-hmm. know, it's the sweet yeah. thing between these two. And, like, watching them hug, like, I got a little tight in the throat. I was like, oh, that's that's Gonzo and Kermit. Like, that, that means something. Um, but it was almost a little bit like Toy Story 4 when Woody and Buzz hug. And you're like, this is hitting me so hard. Has the movie earned this emotion that I'm feeling, yeah. <laughs> or am I am I reacting to the years of history I have with these two characters, and not so much this this arc in the in the movie? Um, I would say Toy Story Four does it a little bit better, but um, it does it a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> um, we may have lost Tyler. Are you oh, here, Tyler? I'm still here. Can you hear me? Oh, you are? Okay, my camera just... Oh, there you are. Okay. Your camera right. also froze. Skype is... You know what? We just... In these unprecedented times, we have to <laughs> we have to work through it. Um, Look, in these unprecedented times, when HBO Max subscriptions are going through the roof for Wonder <laughs> Woman 1984... Uh, and the Snyder Cut. Um, and the Snyder Cut! Yeah. <laughs> Muppets... Space. But I also think, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I guess the next point I was going to make was about the way the humans interact with the Muppets is that this seemed a lot more like it was, it's kind of like the, some of the performers, it almost seemed like it's a joke that I'm interacting with the Muppets. Yeah. Yeah. And there was a lot more sincerity in the previous ones. And part of that is because they got like Kathy Griffin and David Arquette, who are comedy people who are like, oh, sell the joke, do the joke, do the bit. I'm going to kiss animal. That's funny. I did kind of like the, ter- the 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 idea of that flip where now Animal is like I don't I don't want you to chase me. <laughs> I thought that was kind of a nice little little turn. Very very promising young woman, am I right? Um, turning those tables, a promising young animal. <laughs> <laughs> Lowered inhibitions. Lowered inhibitions. Um, I haven't seen the film. <laughs> Muppets from space. Yeah, but then. I don't know. I, I think Jeffrey Tambor did did a little nice, a little nicer of a job interacting with them. Ray Liotta's cameo was was silly, mostly because yeah. it's Ray Liotta <laughs> just being really sunshiny and happy, waving yeah. to all the Muppets like that was so goofy. But it does it does feel like the cameos were just like who's on the lot? Who can we? Mm-hmm. Who do we get? Because the first Muppet movie was like we have all these comedy like all stars of the day. And there were some theater people in Muppet Caper. And then in this one, it was just like, uh, who does Alex recognize? Where can we? 
There's Dawson's Creek. We got Pat Hangel. We got Ray Liotta. We got we got Thunderlips from Rocky Three. Did we really? I did not catch that. Who's who's that? No, I do. Maybe I did. No, it's, it's it's a Hulk Hogan. Yes. Okay. Oh, you're right. You're right. Which I feel silly. I don't know what was going on with his beard. We're just going to move on. <laughs> I kind of liked the joke where they were like, Hollywood, no way. And he says, what do you want? I'm a bad guy now. Which mu- that must be a commentary on where his storyline was in wrestling at the time. Yeah. Sure. And so if he had done a heel turn, I'm like, that's, that's a cute joke. All right. But yeah, <laughs> I, I really enjoyed watching those first three Muppet movies for the cameos and seeing who they were going to get. And this time I was like, oh, Okay. <laughs> All right, you know, Andy sure. McDowell, that's kind of fun, but the the next two movies are loaded with cameos, and those will be those will be fun and silly, um, including maybe my favorite cameo of all time. What mm. teaser? <laughs> what did you guys think of the sound? We 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 talked about how it's not a musical, and we I looked it up. I don't know why it's not a musical. What did you guys think of the soundtrack? Did, did it ever hit suicide levels, Suicide Squad level, or suicide levels where you could not take this movie anymore? Soundtrack ever hit suicide levels? Suicide level where your your friends of the podcast were like having to pull you back into the window of your respective apartments. Um, As has did, happened many many times, <laughs> mostly from the film Suicide Squad. I'll uh-huh. find my own way back, Alex. Come on. I because uh, I feel like there were points where the needle drops were quite obvious. Yeah. Like the security are telling me run, and they play a song called "Getaway." Mm-hmm. <laughs> My favorite might be when Gonza's like, "I'm going to mow the lawn to show them I'm here," and they play "Get Up Off of That Thing." <laughs> like the movie is telling him, "Don't ride that lawn mower. Stop it." Uh, well, anyway, what do you guys think? Cor- correct me if I'm wrong. It wasn't that they were necessarily going, like, let's pull, like, the number one hits from the year in which we're making the film, mm-hmm. right? It's it's not like, what's the right. most popular thing we can use right now? It's, it's, it's more like, what style of music do we want to go with? And then they just pick yeah. different songs yeah. from that genre. So, I, I, I mean, I respect that choice. I just, I did, half the time I was just like, does this song fit a Muppet movie? Like, yeah, and not, not yeah. even not even taking it out out of, out of it that the, the matter that it's not a musical and and the, right. the Muppets aren't singing the songs. Even still, I was like, I don't. If if I'm thinking of songs that could potentially work in a Muppet movie, like none of these would have crossed my mind. Sure. Yeah, and and, and I know what you mean. like. I, I do respect that there's a uniformity to the soundtrack. There's yeah. a consistent soundscape, but it is weird. I don't know who went funk and soul. Like it feels Funk like one of the executive producers walked in one day with his with his CD player strapped to his <laughs> to his to his leg and, and he's going you know guys I think I've I think I've got it my 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 son just showed me the magic of hip hop <laughs> so I, we're gonna go back uh, on the soundtrack there is a duet between George Clinton and Pepe the King Prawn. So there you go. that's something that I guess all the kids can enjoy. I, uh, I guess that's the closest we would have gotten to a song where a Muppet actually sings. Well, I guess when they did Celebration, the the that's true. Aliens did, yeah. I I did just have the thought uh, that might make you rescind your your non cynical tag or your respect tag. Um, I believe most of those songs are from the seventies. Like that's that's the popular uh, or the the highest mm. popularity of the genre and that style. Okay. Um, so I feel like it might just be a 20-year nostalgia thing. They might have just been yeah. like, the parents will like this. They'll recognize <laughs> the songs. They'll never get up off of these things. <laughs> the seats in their theater. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. Yeah, it's just a lot of weird... They're not bad songs. It's just yeah. like an odd series of choices. Yeah. Like it, it almost makes me think that they got to this movie and they're like, we don't know what to do. Just pick something. <laughs> All right, Gonzo will be the main character. It'll be about aliens. We don't go to space. Pat Hingle will be in it. Uh, 70 songs. Yeah. I, I do think that so, – so apparently this all – a lot of this sparked with his song, I'm going to go back there someday in the Muppet movie. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, okay. oh, what if we made that about his – you know. He, he's an alien, and he's, it's his origin story where we find out where he got the nose. Um, 
and you know why he has a thing for chickens. It's also weird that he has this whole Gonzo centric story and Camilla's not in it. Um, yeah, yeah, and and there'll be a scene where he'll go to Rizzo's manor, but Rizzo will be like a baby rat, and so he's talking to Rizzo as a baby, and then you know, I'm doing a Joker thing, but <laughs> uh, I you wouldn't get it. <laughs> exactly, because you don't understand cinema. <laughs> you know, real movies like The French Connection and Joker. But 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 they started they started it all from from that song, and I think it, it did just go through a couple of rewrites and drafts, and then they rushed the production, and so it, it seems like maybe they didn't have time or the chance to really like unify on a vision for the movie and say like okay. This is what we want to do. Let's craft a, a score around that. Like, they kind of got the premise and then just started like writing. Like, it seems like a very Hollywood like studio system. Yeah. And uh, the the Disney thing. So I, I was, I I, I, I might have said the wrong thing in the past. So the negotiations actually didn't conclude at, before Jim Henson's death. They started, and then he passed away, and so. They were mid-negotiation, but it wasn't finished, which is why Disney did co-produce and release uh, Christmas Carol and maybe Treasure Island. I can't remember. I think so. I did see this, actually, I think, yeah. It is Treasure Island. Yeah, Treasure and they Island co-produced. Well. Yeah, and so why these two, are, this and the last one don't have, or no, 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 this one and, I don't know, another one, don't have Disney releases. But then in 2004, that's when, like, the Muppets became licensed property of Disney. Uh, except for Sesame Street, which I believe that doesn't Sesame Street stayed its own. Mm-hmm. Which I think that was a thing even during the initial negotiations. As Henson was like, "You don't get Sesame Street. Like Sesame Street stays where it is. That is because that isn't even explicitly his. Like he worked on it with uh, John Gans Cooney, but he was like, "You don't get that Sesame Street is its own entity," uh, which I think is great. And so that that's why the Muppet sort of changed um well it changed changed hands which is like a pun because of puppets <laughs> pretty good um I'm, i realized that i'm i'm now quite disappointed because if they were going for like a 60s 70s retro uh like nostalgia thing where where, where are my synthesized muppet songs <laughs> where, where where are my muppets jamming out to synths I, I will say there they did have Kermit perform once in a lifetime at the Talking Heads on some TV show. It's pretty good. I want more. So so they have <laughs> done and, and I did have an album where they sang a bunch of eighties songs where like Kermit sang She Drives Me Crazy. Uh Miss Piggy one time did duet with Ozzy Osbourne on Born to Be Wild. Sure. So I mean it's out there. Jimmy Buffett sang with Gonzo and Rizzo, they sang Mr. Spaceman. Um, oh, that's great. Th- they got the I wrong room. I'll, I'll find it. It's really funny because it opens with Rizzo going, Jimmy's Buffet! Come on, we can get some food! And Gonzo's like, that's not what it says. And then Jimmy Buffett's like, hey guys, what are you doing here? Man, I had the weirdest dream last night. And then they start singing about getting abducted. Pretty good. It's delightful. Um, Kermit Unpigged, I believe, is the name of that one. Uh, Don't know how I feel about that. It's a weird yeah, title. It's, uh... But... It's a movie about space. Clearly, there was some decision made to be like, "Hey, let's just make a soundtrack that people will like." Why? Why not? Why not right, go? Right. Why not get me some probably po- very popular '60s bands that use synthesizers that I can't think of right now? It's fine. Sure. And I I'm do think millennial. it would have been better if they had gone to space. I do think that would have been a lot of fun. Yes. To watch. Yes. Um. Because even in this, we have the little, like, they get the party together and they go to rescue Gonzo, but it just doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't feel as, like, fun or exciting, I no. guess. I like i like imagining a scene where just, like, they're running, like, they're trying to get in, in, into the little, the, um, little tunnel leading from the building at NASA into, like, the rocket ship, and they're all mm. just clamoring in to go up into space. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> that'd be cute yeah what'd you guys think of pepe because he's the only like new character aside from bobo that really gets like utilized yeah. a lot i thought he was I pretty like pepe funny. i think pepe's pretty I, funny, I liked yeah. him quite a bit in this movie 
Um, I, I'm a big fan of the jacuzzi gag where yes. they trick Gonzo into making a jacuzzi for them by saying, <laughs> by talking through a fan. <laughs> and I like that Pepe says, I'm like, I will smack you like a bad, bad donkey, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a king prawn. Um, yeah, there's also a, a joke that I like where Johnny Fiamma, who's literally like a Muppet, like Tony Bennett kind of guy, is standing there with his assistant, Sal, who's a monkey. And Sal's eating cake, and he's like, Oh, but Johnny, this is such good cake. And Johnny's like, Yeah, well, hey, that is a nice cake, Sal. <laughs> and then Gonzo freaks out about who cut the cake, yeah. and they're like, Hey, who cut this cake? Who cut this nice cake? Hey, whoa, hey, mo. <laughs> I'm the Joker. <laughs> um, you wouldn't get it, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dancing in a bathroom because I feel all the acting in me. Very talented man. I like her quite a bit. I would like. Uh, I would like to request Joaquin Phoenix star in a music video for a Weird Al parody called "I've Got the Acting in Me." Um, <laughs> somebody make that happen, please. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, that's very good. Um, I I will say one joke that I feel like still has the the, the old Muppet sincerity that I quite liked, and there were a few examples of this, um, but one in particular, Bunsen and Beaker are like setting up some James Bond style gadgets, um, yes. which leads to some good stuff because because they also have a thing that's um, just called a door in a jar, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and later they use it and it's like a very tiny door. It's good. The CGI looks terrible in the best way. Oh yeah, um, they they you can tell they just were like, yeah, this is fine. We're not. We're not going to bother. It's fine. Yeah. Um, but we spent too much money on the soundtrack. <laughs> pretty much. Uh, there is also a joke in there where Fozzie picks up a tape dispenser and he's like, Ooh, what does this do? <laughs> um, and Bunsen's like, Oh, actually that's a, a tape dispenser. It's useful if, for, if you want to stick things together. And then Fozzie's like, Oh, okay. And I really <laughs> like the fact that that's, I feel like in a lot of I don't know. I feel like the the usual way you do that joke where you show two cool things and then somebody is like suspicious about a third thing is that then they're like, oh, that's just a tape dispenser. But right. I like the fact that Bunsen specifically is like, oh, yeah, that's a tape dispenser. You used to, <laughs> to, to tape something. <laughs> I also like in that scene where Kermit goes, ah, the old rubber ducky actually sprays invility spray trick. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Pretty what good. else you got? <laughs> Pretty good. Yeah. That's. <laughs> Um, also, Miss Piggy uh, has a full-on karate fight with Josh Charles from Dead Poet Society and The Good Wife, which I like Josh Charles a lot, and that scene's very funny. And he starts getting like kind of turned on during the fight, <laughs> which is weird. Uh, I, I, something this occurred to me, you mentioned the bad CGI. It occurred to me that this might be the first movie where, oh, maybe, maybe really it was the last one, but like, the first three Muppet movies certainly all had some amazing feat of puppetry. Mm-hmm. Some element that was really imp- – whether it was the Muppets riding bikes or the whole underwater sequence with Piggy. Um, there was always something that was like, how do they do that? That's so impressive. And uh, even in, in, in Christmas Carol, you had the three ghosts who were all mm-hmm. – like especially the Christmas past was this beautiful creature. And then uh, Treasure Island, I don't know that it had like a, a puppet set piece, so to speak – but it just had a lot of interesting creatures to look at. Yeah, maybe um, Kermit flipping. Yeah, yeah. The sword yeah. fight, honestly. Yeah, and and those also just had very like great storytelling and some music. And this didn't have any of any any of that really. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe some of that just comes from being so familiar with the Muppets at this point. But I think that's the other thing is when you have someone who's not a puppeteer at the helm of the movie, then because like I mean, Jim Henson had all of these insane ideas right and then brian henson is is in his own way a, a extremely creative brilliant man um and obviously as is frank oz and then this and this is not to you know drag tim hill or anything but i feel like he directed a movie and the muppets are in it and it didn't feel like that we had this great puppetry that was on display yeah it, it rested more on like well how good are the jokes and how fun are the characters which there are good jokes and there are great characters but it just doesn't have the same kind of richness i think that the even the previous two movies had it makes me All think. All I'm saying is, we had the opportunity for zero gravity Muppets, and we didn't take That's it. That's true. That's I'm true. Saying. It makes me. It makes me think of this. Is I mean, 
this is not a nuanced enough take, but it just makes me imagine like, I so was Brian Henson? Had he passed away at this point, or was was he just not? Oh, he Disney just directed. Yeah, he, he's still alive now. Yeah, um, yeah. I no, say Disney. I don't actually, know, he just stepped away. But. He actually performed uh, Philip Van Neuter, the terrifying surgeon puppet. Ah, okay. That was Brian That's Henson. Cool. Yeah, um, horrifying man. But I was going to say, I'm imagining you know a, a Brian Henson or Frank Oz being like, okay, so you're gonna you're gonna take good care of the puppets, right? Like you know you got to make <laughs> sure they you have to feel the puppets, like you know they're really they are characters, and we you, yeah. you really have to love it, and then. Some seedy Hollywood uh, no name with you know a, a cigarette and I was like yeah sure fine I got it. <laughs> Apparently, uh, Jim Henson was not callous, but like didn't like treat them as precious as as others might. And oh, really? there's a story that Carol Spinney, who uh, played uh, Big Bird and Oscar the Grouch, mm-hmm. I think it was Carol. Spinney. It might have been Whitmire. I think it was Carol Spinney. Like once saw Jim Henson like finish a take and they did the they all right, that's a wrap. Great. And he just kind of flung the puppet down. <laughs> Not meanly. I mean, just like, all right, I did it. We, we did the scene. And Spinny like ran over and like picked it up and cradled like Kermit or whatever. I was like, I'm so sorry. But Henson was like, they're puppet. I mean, we've got a million of them. <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but, but that, that is in a way, I don't know. It's different if Jim Henson does it, I guess. Is sure. what I'm saying. Um, and I don't remember if we have feats like that in the next two movies. Obviously, we'll, we'll we will find out soon. But yeah, it just it just doesn't feel as as Muppet e. And you know, another like I didn't really talk about this with the last movie, and I don't know if I feel it translates as much to that one. Um, but I was very impressed with the first four, three, three. Christmas Carol was the third. Yes. Um, the fa- Christmas, Christmas Carol was the fourth. And what's the one I'm not thinking? Oh, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, okay. I was yeah. not thinking of both Manhattan and Caper. So gotcha. the, I was impressed with the fact that the first four all had a very unified um, sort of theme and approach in terms of mm-hmm. talking about pursuing your dreams and, yeah. you know, how that can be a huge struggle and the fact that you, you, there's a lot to overcome if you're trying to become the the person you want to be. Um, and if you're trying to, you know, achieve goals and, and how stardom can complicate that, like all of that is in there. Um, and treasure Island, I don't know that that's the, and maybe this is part of why we were, we found treasure Island more forgettable is that it's just kind of an adaptation. It's like, yeah, Christmas Carol was an adaptation, but Christmas Carol has the original story has all those elements. And so it was like a really smart adaptation where treasure Mm -hmm. Island was maybe a little bit more of a, Oh, this is a fun adventure story. Yeah, it was um, a romp. But this one especially does not really have... Th- this feels like a generic animated film story. Yeah. There's not a lot of actual like meaning. There's there's not a whole lot that is grappled with. Yeah. Cause, and I think maybe part of it that bothers me that we haven't really talked about yet is that at the end, Gonzo's family, alien family, does come to Earth... <laughs> And they're there, and they're like, "Yeah, you're you're one of us. Cool, we're all here." Yeah. Um, and I think that kind of annoyed me that there wasn't more. Again, talking about how it doesn't really feel like they earned the scene of Gonzo like almost leaving. Um, yeah, because he hasn't really been that torn about leaving or like what that means until literally that decision, right? Uh, He's just like, I got people out there. I got to find the people. The, yeah. the, he His biggest like inner conflict shown on screen is when he has a dream about Noah keeping him off the ark because he's the only <laughs> right. the only whatever. Yeah, uh, That might be my favorite part of the whole film. That was a strange <laughs> scene, but I'm not against it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's really not a, a strong through line to grasp onto. The, the, the character, the motivations of the characters are much thinner. Um, yeah. And again, talking about the human actors, Jeffrey Tambor, I think he's pretty fun. I think he, mm-hmm. he uh, gets some good, like, uh, angry <laughs> scenes with people. Yeah. And uh, uh, like you said, it, he has a fun uh, person to bounce off of in Bobo. Uh, but 
he also does not really like his motivation is like I don't want to be fired and now I'm mad I got fired like that's right. that's tracking like there's just not nearly as as strong yeah and talking about last one where it's like the adaptation of Treasure Island you've got okay Jim and um, Long John Silver they've got this interesting dynamic mm-hmm. right and so like there's something there's something nuanced and interesting is that oh hey he's he's a horrible pirate but also he's got a little bit of heart. And and he does actually kind of care about this kid. Um, that's something. That's an interesting yeah. thing to follow. Tim Curry's got a lot of warmth in his portrayal in the last movie. This one is so much more one note. There, the cameos I think overall are just so much less interesting because they're not played yeah. in a way that does anything with them other than presents them and says you're doing a funny thing. Um, yeah. I love David Arquette. He's also in all the Scream movies, or a lot of them, mm-hmm. um, which I binged a while back, and uh, he's he's great fun in those. Um, but yeah, in this one, he's like, I am an evil scientist, and I'm yeah. experimenting on the rats, and it's it's fun. Sure, but uh, oh, just every single scene is very much we're doing a weird bit with a cameo, <laughs> and we're not yeah. really making it interesting or making it like have anything more insightful than it's kind of funny. Um, yeah, and it is funny, but it's not. I don't know. I, I felt like there was not much to grasp onto in the film to actually make me like care about it in the ways that I've cared about the other ones. And cameos are such a hard thing in movies, I think. And obviously, the the, the secret to doing something well is do it well, <laughs> you know. And but I think a lot of times the cameos I really like are when on the page that's just the guy selling ice cream. That's just the bus driver. And the joke is like, oh, we put this celebrity. And that's how a lot of the Muppet movie cameos are. Mm -hmm. It's just like, oh, the beauty contest judge or whoever. And it's just, well, we just made that person Madeline Kahn. We just made that person Orson Welles or whatever. Um, And obviously there's there's exceptions like the cameo in Night at Museum 3 with Hugh Jackman where it becomes just this whole scene and it's so bizarre but it's funny. At that point it's like, well, you're really committing to it and doing something with it. Or you're just like, there it is, and now we're done. And this was this weird, like, midline thing. And some, like I said, I, I found the Ray Liotta stuff funny. But it, was, it wasn't like I went, that's how you do a cameo. Oh, my God. Um, Look, the ideal cameo, right, is... Uh, crap, I've already forgotten his name. I've ruined the whole bit. I'm so sad. Who's, who, is, who is Juno guy? Uh, Michael Sarah. Michael, Michael Sarah. Sarah. Yeah, it's Michael Sarah in um, Twin Peaks: The Return, <laughs> <laughs> where he spends eight minutes just having the strangest conversation you've ever seen. Um, that's how every cameo should be, and that's how this movie should uh, be. Also, Michael Sarah's cameo in This Is the End, where he gets slapped by Rihanna and then gets violently killed at the beginning of the apocalypse. If we could combine these two cameos... If we could combine we'd these be, two. We'd be in business. <laughs> I, I wish that I could be more excited about y'all guessing my favorite cameo in Muppets Most Wanted, but there's it, it's going to be the most obvious thing. In, in Muppets world. Most Wanted? Not the... Yeah. Because I, I know one of the cameos, sort of, we'll talk about it in the next one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But. Right, no, it's it's not the most wanted, and like I wish I could be more like, oh, I wonder if you guys can figure out which my yeah. favorite is. But there's, it's like, it's not Anna Kendrick, but it would be like if Anna Kendrick showed up, you're like, that's his favorite, right? <laughs> Wait, are you telling me Pat Hingle shows up again? <laughs> he does. He's the constant. Well, you don't know Alex is. He's been in every Muppet movie. He's like the John Ratzenberger in Pixar. <laughs> there's always somewhere. I mean, Pat Hingle is in all of our hearts. So. That's he true. Really, oh God. Hingle bells. Is that anything? <laughs> no. Look. <laughs> Shall we just jump on into grades? I mean, is there, is there a whole lot else to really tap into about this? There's a bunch uh, of rats, and they're different yeah. uh, from each other, and they're distinct and funny. Like I said, this, this movie feels like a 22-minute episode of a TV show. Like, it feels like nothing happened. Um, I think you guys have said that in more eloquent ways than that. Um, but yeah, just like, I, I they needed some, something else to elevate the conflict or something. Yeah. Cause it's just like, it feels like the movie wants to do the government conspiracy th- thing, 
but that yeah. feels so disconnected from the when the aliens actually show up and it's not right. like there's any conflict between the government and the aliens and it, it feels like it wants to be one movie and then at the end it becomes something else and it's it's like well why why were we spinning our wheels for the rest of it and once again this is all up to, you know, we're we're comparing it to to the other muppet movies not so much yeah. like kids kids films in general you could not pay me to watch this guy's Alvin and the Chipmunks movie. Like, I'm sure that is just, like, the worst thing. Um, so, like, comparatively, like, I'm sure th- this is a perfectly fine kids film. Like, sure. Yeah, sure. It works you, on that level. You c- and I think it only works on that level. You couldn't pay yeah. me to watch his Alvin and the Chipmunks. I'm pretty sure I've, I saw Garfield, A Tale of Two, two Kitties, in theaters <laughs> when I was a kid. I thought you were going to say you watched uh, Max Keeble's Big Move. I'm sure I did at that point. <laughs> Was well, that... the good news, guys, is they're not going to have to pay us because there's three Alvin and the Chipmunks movies, so we're going <laughs> to watch them for free. But there's there four, probably. <laughs> Britain just made <laughs> the most confused face. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't. Ah. We're just getting all sorts of interruptions here. Skype in my <laughs> phone. Um, no, I don't know what grade to give this. <laughs> Because I feel like it's it's a very competently made movie. Like, it, you know, there's nothing that I would say doesn't work in a, within a scene level. Uh, for the most part, it's, you know, if you just watch this scene out of context, it'd be like, that's kind of funny. Right. Or that was a cool cameo. Neat. Um, but yeah, d- the overall thing is just not very compelling. I'm going to go C. I think I'm going. I'm going C minus. Okay. I will yeah. do C plus. There we go. Yeah. Um. There are four uh, Alvin and the Chipmunks movies. There you go. Well, we'll 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 take one off. We'll do, you know, like a little a little bit of uh, abacus math here. We'll slide one, <laughs> and we'll slide that one so we can complete the Garfield trilogy. And then we'll do three out of the chipmunks and a, a quote unquote Garfield. Or can we can we can we use Puss in Boots as the other Garfield movie? Which would dovetail into the Shrek is that, series. Is that offensive to cats? I don't know. I don't think so. Is it offensive to jellical cats? Is the better it's question. Jellical cats. I think Jellicle Cats are elitist, though. I think it would be the other way. Like, I think of anything. <laughs> I mean, the whole opening of their show is them just <laughs> asking if you're all of these different things, do you deserve to be a Jellicle Cat? One of which is, are you familiar with Candle, Book, and Bell? Which makes no sense. I've never seen a cat read a book. Look, I'm not saying they should do a parody of Cats with the Muppets, but... <laughs> I am not saying that. I, I am saying that. <laughs> what I'm saying is... Also, People keep talking about Space Jam 2. No, no, no. None of that Bugs Bunny nonsense. Space Jam 2. LeBron James and the Muppets play basketball. There you go. <laughs> I want Sounds legitimately good. Space Jam also, 2. I want Muppets to- v. Looney Tunes. Look, look, I, I just want Tom Hooper to take a crack at the Muppets. <laughs> Again, Space Jam 2. Muppets v. Looney Tunes. <laughs> it'll, it'll, it'll be the King's Speech, but with Muppets. <laughs> And Kermit has to get over his his stuttering. <laughs> the social network. <laughs> he didn't direct that. Never now, mind. What did Tom uh, Hooper do? Okay. Red Dust. Now, okay, a Fincher Muppet movie. Now we're talking. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Just a lot of like long, slow takes. So I'm like, this is beautifully shot. I'm not that invested, but it's gorgeous. <laughs> um. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> this is a great time. This is a great way for me to. I don't. Here, do either of you have a recommendation? Because I can't decide between two that I have. I do. Tyler, go. Okay. Um, <laughs> this is going to be such a tone shift because, like, this is a very good, like, serious film. Um, no, I. Th- this, in combination with what I think I'm going to recommend next week had me like up at 3 a.m. like checking on my my sleeping infant son 
in the in the crib on my phone camera monitor thing just like life is so difficult like it's just like <laughs> absorbing emotions um so i will i will follow up on on how i got to that place at 3am next week but what i'm recommending today and what i started off that night with um is a film by kelly reichart i think i'm saying that right um, called Certain Woman. Uh, I previously mm. recommended her film First Cow from last year, which, Britain, you've said, I have not really been keeping up with this, but apparently it's actually doing pretty well awards-wise. It, yeah. it's, it's... it and Nomadland are like juggernauts yeah. right um, now. I liked First Cow a lot. I made the comment when we talked about Hereditary and Midsommar that with Hereditary, I kind of wanted like a um, Ari Aster primer. <laughs> like I wanted a mm-hmm. film that was a little bit more accessible. And then I felt like yeah. I got that with Midsommar. So at some point I need to watch Hereditary again. Probably not anytime soon. Um, but that I think now that I've watched certain woman is kind of how I feel about first cow. Um, first cow is a little bit weird. It's, it's the four, three aspect ratio. Um, mm. So it's, it's a very specific tone and feel already. Um, just like from the moment you kind of jump into the movie uh and that's just a very specific like it's a movie you have to very much be awake and prepared to just sit and watch and enjoy um because it's very quiet in the way it approaches it a certain woman i think is a good the, the movie is from 2016 i think did i already say that i may have uh it's a movie that i think is a good approach to that while also letting you get used to it a little bit more um before you dive into, I don't know how long First Cow is. It's at least an hour and a half, I assume. I don't, I don't, it may be two hours. Um, but basically what it is, it's an adaptation of three uh, short stories, which I believe were written by... I forget her name. Her name, I think, is Maine Malloy. I'm going to double-check that while somebody else has a recommendation. Uh, but she is the sister of the Decemberist lead singer Colin Malloy. <laughs> Oh, which wow. is a weird connection that I did not make until after I watched the film. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, but basically each story is focused on a particular just woman, like just a character living in kind of the Northwest and modern day. Um, in the film, they are played by Laura Dern, Michelle Williams, um, mm. and uh, Lily Gladstone. Uh, oh, wow. And there are other actors there. Um, Jared Harris is there. You know what? You know I love some Jer hair. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Don't we all? Kristen Stewart is there. Yeah. Uh, she's she's great. I between this movie and uh, I don't know if it was Tenet. Oh, and uh, the Lighthouse as well um, for Robert Pattinson. I I really want Kristen Stewart, um, who is also in Happy Season. That was the other thing. They they both been in a bunch of stuff that I've really enjoyed recently, and I really want them both to be in a movie together again. That's like a real movie, um, and yep. I'm very sad that they have not done that yet. Anyway, <laughs> I don't imagine they will. Anytime I know soon. I know there's drama, but like they're both good at acting, and we have not <laughs> like actually gotten to see that with them both together. Um, but the uh, the film is about three like completely just slice of life not i mean there are maybe a little bit outlandish scenarios Uh, i mean really just like the first one um in the film but they're all like just very plain uh not a lot happens in terms of actual action or uh you know rising events or anything like that it's Mm -hmm. just three you know 30 minute or so focuses almost in anthology there's a little bit of connective tissue between the three stories um but for the most part it's just like each one of these is just exploring a woman and she's struggling because things are bad (laughs) and Mm -hmm. they're not like horribly bad it's not it's not like you know they've they've lost everything in a house fire or something like like it's it's very just basic like they're just dealing with normal everyday stresses um, but the way it approaches it makes every single one of them like heart wrenching at the end, um, and it's it's a really like fantastically done movie. You get a ton of beautiful uh, vistas of the Pacific Northwest with mountains in the background and stuff. 
Um, they do a lot with, or Kelly Reichardt does a lot with reflections off of things. I forget who the cinematographer was, but I know it's the same one who did First Cow. Um, mm. So apparently she's worked with him a lot. And uh, yeah, the, there's just a ton of great shots and, and moments that just make you sit there and think about what's happening and kind of absorb it and really, really feel um, both the great directing and the great acting. Um, highly, highly recommended. I, I had a very good time with it. That sounds awesome. I, I was looking that movie up actually not long ago because I was looking up Kelly Reichardt mm-hmm. and it, it's it was a really appealing idea. Uh, how did you watch it? Oh, I was on the uh, Criterion channel, so I oh, cool, I had cool. basically ended up just grabbing a month on that, and I've canceled it now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I don't have that's time awesome. for all those boring old movies, um, but uh, yeah, no, that's uh, good. Alex, did you watch more of Justice League Bloodsport? <laughs> <laughs> I did Justice, Justice League col- Justice League colon not your daddy. <laughs> yes, I got a sneak peek at the Snyder Cut. <laughs> um, yeah, I ended up finishing uh, Justice League Dark Apocalypse War, which the title really is not better than the parodies. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just said Britain. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it ended up being pretty solid. Sure. Um, I kind of wish that, that the opening 20 minutes weren't quite as gratuitous in terms of the violence because it feels like the sure. rest of the movie doesn't really... I mean, it is violent, but it doesn't quite ever get up back up to that level. So I'm like, eh, did you really need that? <laughs> that's kind of how I feel about the Harley Quinn animated show. Same. Yeah. We're like, I, I think that's a great TV show. I mm-hmm. like it a lot. But that first episode, they are really going for it. And I mean, I get it. It's supposed to set up the stakes of like, oh, sure. th- this is super serious. We lost, and like a bunch of of our heroes that we've known to to love and care about over the years are have like been brutally murdered and mutilated. Um, but somehow the rest of the movie still manages to be kind of fun and uh, be a good time. Um, so yeah, I, I'd I'd probably recommend it. Uh, it's weird because it's. It's the end of this string of movies that are supposed to be semi-representative of the New 52 comics. Mm. So it starts with Flashpoint and it goes through to this. And it kind of bookends it with the thing with the Flash. Um, And apparently that's like the end of this continuity of movies. I was able to watch it as a standalone and I I understood pretty much everything that was going on. Aside from, you need to know what Flashpoint is. Um, but if you're watching an animated DC movie, I assume you at least know a little bit about DC comics. Sure, so. sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's 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 pretty solid. A, a good time. I kind of wish, like, I, I don't know, it's able to balance the the darkness with the humor and and still being fun in a way that the modern DC movies don't at all. Mm, so gotcha. I don't know. Okay. Uh, nice. Yeah, and it was also like hour and a half, hour forty. So that was there nice. You go. Um, and then I watched the first hour or so of, uh, Phantom Thread because apparently yeah. I can only get through like an hour of a movie at a time before we do the podcast. So, <laughs> um, it's good so far. <laughs> <laughs> it's a teaser. You're teasing us. You're, you're going to give us the full next week with a special report. <laughs> um, before I do my recommendation, Hereditui, is that something? Yeah. It's like a rat, but he's possessed. I think so. <laughs> And he really wants to be a master chef. Right, exactly. We're not every time. That whole scene, okay, that does change the scene when Peter is in the classroom and his arm shoots up. You then get a close-up of Remy and his hair like, oh, sorry. sorry." (laughs) I'm pretty sure that exact thing happens in Ratatouille. I think so. (laughs) Like, I think his arm shoots up in exactly the same way. And he's just bashing his face in the in the thing, and Reddish, Remy's like, "I don't know. Wait, sorry. How do I try stop this crazy thing?" They are jellical rats. He's, he's yep. controlling a. Uh, what's her name at the end of the movie? Oh, uh, uh, Tony Collette. He's controlling her as she's jumping across the rafters. <laughs> Whoa! Oh my goodness! How am I making her fly? This whole time, Paimon has just been Remy. Um, my so my recommendation. Uh, I, I had two that I was waffling between. I'm going to go with the one that is currently on a largely youth streaming service, so it's a little more accessible. Um, it is an old movie that is also an hour and a half. I'm going to recommend. 
I'm going to recommend uh, 1964's The Umbrellas of Cherbourg by Jacques Demy. This is a French movie. Um, and I, I got kind of a yin to watch some old foreign stuff the other day, and I was surfing around, and I, I'd heard a lot about it. And basically the, the story is a young woman played by um, oh, Catherine Deneuve. Catherine Deneuve. She uh, has this boyfriend – and they fall in love, and then they get separated when he has to go serve in the uh, the Battle of Algiers, or serve in that war that contains the Battle of Algiers. And she, you know, pines for him, and then it's French. Uh, <laughs> but that's the that, that's the the basic premise of the movie. But the 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 thing about the movie is that it's it's a musical without any set songs or numbers. Every line of dialogue in the movie is sung. But it's not like Les Miserables where, okay, we're we're doing Look Down. Okay, that song's over. Now we're going to drift. We're going to have a bridge. And now we're doing I Dream to Dream or whatever. It's just literally them being like, well, I don't know French. But, you know, <laughs> Le Sounds like a pretty bad French Jean... movie if they don't know French. Don't know. <laughs> like, Genevieve, I love you. I love you too. It's just that. And occasionally uh-huh. it rhymes. Um and it works as it kind of helps to cast this like, oh, this is a musical fantasy. Because the reason this is such a revered movie is because it is absolutely stunningly beautiful. It is so, like, <laughs> Patton Oswalt described it as, it looks like this movie just tastes good. Um, I've seen it <laughs> described as, if Cotton Candy were a movie, it's it's that early 60s, like everything's bright and mm. lush and pink and green and red. Which I don't always like in movies, but this movie makes it look great. And there's beautiful shots of like streets and and the sky and these the small town I guess small town of Cherbourg, and it's I actually wish they had gone to more locations because I wanted to see more of this kind of photography and different uh, uh, vistas I guess. But the costumes, the productions, I mean, it's such a beautiful looking movie, and it's such an interesting experience with everything being sung. Um, but I, I don't know that the plot necessarily rocked me or anything but the experience i think is really impressive and it's it's a movie that i think for for being an entirely sung french movie from 1964 is a lot more accessible than you would think because the story is very like oh yeah i get it i get all these characters motivate i totally i got it i can just go on I, I can just experience the way you're telling me the story and just, just the like the opening credits is like this bird's eye shot of the street and all these people are passing under the credits, I guess with these beautiful umbrellas and there's rain falling down around the camera. Like it's just stunning. Um, I watched it on HBO max. Uh, it's 92 minutes, maybe 91. Uh, the umbrellas of Cherbourg, le, le parapluie de Cherbourg. Recommend it. I, I, I did want to mention that I, I did actually complete a real movie and completely forgot I had watched it. Is it The Way Back? Um, it was The Way Back. <laughs> you got me, Tyler. <laughs> I watched it six times this week and completely forgot I had watched it. Uh, no, uh, I, I watched uh, I'm Your Woman with a friend of the podcast, Cecilia, oh, on Amazon. Yeah. Um, It's a weird one because it's a very slow burn. Um not a whole lot happens for a good chunk of it and i i think if you don't go into the movie like with a certain mindset it could end up being very off-putting and dull Mm. um but i realized kind of quickly it's it's kind of the uh basically the premise is what if we get to the point in goodfellas where everything starts falling apart but it's all from the point of view of the criminal's girlfriend and that's the movie. Yeah. Um, and I, w- once I kind of caught on to that and realized, oh, that's what the movie's doing. Because anytime the movie gets really close to, like, your typical gangster stuff, like, we're about to confront the mob boss. Or, mm-hmm. you know, we're about to, like, the movie, like, sidesteps and goes in a different direction because that's not what it's about. And yeah. I thought, and I found that really interesting. And I feel kind of bad that I forgot that I had watched it. <laughs> um, I, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um there are a lot of good performances in it, and uh, I don't know. It's one of those movies where it's just like, like I said, once I kind of understood what it was going for, I was able to kind of get in the vibe with it, and it was it was a an enjoyable time. So, 
I'm your woman, uh, Amazon Prime. That's that uh, Rachel Brosnahan, Mrs. Maisel. Is that, I haven't seen uh, Mrs. Maisel, so. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's pretty good. She's really good on that. Um, yeah, I've, I've been I've been curious about. That. I've been unsure of like like I like her. I don't, but I, I I've been uncertain about that. So I might need to actually I, check it out in that case. Well, I, I think both of you would enjoy it quite a bit, particularly Tyler. I think you would enjoy it just because it's you're not a big fan of like Scorsese crime movies. So I feel <laughs> like this is a good a, a good counterpoint to that. Except maybe The Irishman. <laughs> I well, I mean that that works on on a similar level of of That's almost true. being meta and it's... deconstructing. Yeah, yeah. Th- those the mobster In- movie interrogates itself. To use a fancy yeah. film term. Arch I don't really like Scorsese gangster movies, so I'll watch one where it keeps deliberately choosing not to be one. <laughs> That'd be like if someone didn't like musicals and they kept watching a movie where the character went, "I'm so mad," <gasps> and then they cut. <laughs> No, that's awesome. I, I I might need to check uh, that one out. Then, so I've been, I'm my sure. my apologies to Miley Malloy is the name of the, Miley the writer. Malloy. It's her name is spelled M A I L E, which I had never seen before. But that is how I misinterpreted as Maine, and I was like, "That's unique." And then now that I know the real answer, I'm like, "That's also unique." So good on you. Yeah, Miley uh, Malloy. Um, who? Good name. Yeah. Miley Malloy, not to be confused with her alter ego, Hannah Maine. So. <laughs> good. Thank you. Uh, we have fun here. Well, guys, we did it. Yeah. <laughs> we finished. They said we couldn't. They said we shouldn't, but we did. <laughs> no one said that. No. But we're, we're winding it down. We're about to get into the Disney Muppets. Uh, we'll see how different that feels, you know, if it turns out that Kermit's a Palpatine or whatever. Um i'm i'm ray ray the frog <laughs> isn't there uh, that uh in, in there some kind of meme where uh kermit's got got the the palpatine robes yes, on there's that's right that's right that's right that's coming up um so that'll be exciting we'll get started with that next week is it too obvious for fozzy to be a uh, chewbacca I believe that uh, they did an episode of the Muppet Babies. They did a lot of Star Wars stuff in the Muppet Babies, but they did do an episode where he was called Foz Waka. That's pretty good. Which is a wonderful joke. <laughs> Tyler, where can they find us? find the Palpy Connection. <laughs> uh, you can find us online at herecomethesequels.blogspot.com. You can find us on Twitter at HCTSequels. Uh, you can email us at herecomethesequels at gmail.com. We're on iTunes. We're on Spotify. We're on SoundCloud. Wherever, wherever you get your podcast. Oh, yeah. Big time. I've been Britain. I've been Tyler. And I've been Alex. And I'm going back and pulling out my calendar and just scratching off one more day till No Time to Die doesn't come out. <laughs> You're having a wonderful night. <laughs>